Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about Trump at the border. Congressman Michael Cloud represents a border district. We'll be talking to him today. And then Justin Trudeau's far worse offenses. Ilhan Omar pleads for more support for terror and an ISIS aircraft mechanic in America. What could go wrong? And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Well, hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. President Trump was at the border in San Diego yesterday. You know, my husband and I lived in San Diego many, many years. So he was, uh, and we love that city. It's a fabulous city. So President Trump is at the border and he did a little speech, I think a little bit impromptu. I want to quickly ask Matt, the wonderful producer, to play this clip of President Trump at the border in San Diego. This has been a very exciting project, as you know. It's. Uh For many years, people have wanted the proper wall, and we have a wall that the likes of which very few places have ever seen. I wanted to show you some of the details of the wall. Uh, You can see see a pretty good view. Uh, This is going to be close to 500 miles by the time we finish. Those are the areas that are most important. Uh, After we're completed, that should be done pretty close to next year. Over, it'll be over 400 miles, and we think we can get it close to 500 miles by the end of next year depending on certain terrain conditions. This is your maximum that you could do. And one thing we haven't mentioned is technology. They're wired so that we will know if somebody's trying to break through. We wanted Congress to help us. It would have made life very easy. And we still want them to get rid of loopholes, but we've done it a different way. We've done it with the help of Mexico. We've done it with the help of Border Patrol. And we've done it with the help of Kevin and all of you great people and Mark. Uh, We've done it a different way. We still want them to do it because it would be a little bit easier but uh, Congress wouldn't do it. When I say Congress, the Democrats just wouldn't do it. So now we have a world-class security system at the border, including the highest technology. Uh, I would think that there's no place like this anywhere. There's no place has anything like this or even close to it. Okay, that was President Trump at the border just yesterday. And I just want to say a couple quick remarks about it before we turn to our interview with Congressman Cloud. Number one, this is an issue Trump talked about from the time he began running, that we don't have a secure border in the South. I want to commend him and really many Americans, because when he first began talking during his campaign, people were thinking, a border wall? That sounds like a wall, the Great Wall of China. They thought it sounded like a really mean-spirited thing. But over time, President Trump's ability to shine the spotlight on not just, not just the fact that we have an insecure southern border, but how very dangerous that insecure border is. When we've had, we've talked about in this show many times, it's not just impoverished families trying to come across the border and find a better life in America. You have people who are trafficking Islamic terrorists from the country of Bangladesh. We talked about that just a few days ago. They arrested the guy who was helping them come into the country. You have people coming up from all over 
Central America, not stopping at the first country possible, but just insisting on their right to come to America. We had set ourselves up as a magnet where everyone felt entitled to come. Half of the elected officials in Washington, or more than half of the U.S. House, seems to agree that anyone from anywhere simply has the right to come here. So I love that President Trump stuck with it. He really uh, lifted the American people's understanding of the danger of the border, the reality of the problem. And then in this little clip we just played, he really, again, I think he'll continue to highlight throughout the 2020 election, the Democrats simply do not want a secure border. They do not want the border secure. They stand a term. They stand a better benefit uh, short-term and long-term from having an insecure border. He also, I'm not going to play the clip, but he took a few fun shots yesterday at the city of San Francisco, basically pointing out that in San Francisco, it, he, I think his term, his expression was the entire city is an EPA violation. It may not have been exactly that, but pointing out San Francisco has, has become such a physically dirty city because of its extremely liberal policies, permitting people to drop their needles everywhere, never arresting anybody, the massive homeless population, making it a dangerous place for people to live, an unpleasant place for people to visit, and the permission that was given by the city council to simply not prosecute people who choose to relieve themselves on public sidewalks. All around getting back to saying that President Trump's message of it's okay to love America, it's okay to secure America, it's okay to demand that we have basic decency standards of kind of civil society in this country as norms in America. So thrilled for his comments at the border, thrilled that he has raised public awareness, just kind of national awareness of what the danger was at the border. And he's really managed to expose how extremely off track the American left as the Democrat Party is in simply being unwilling to help with the border in any way. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. Returning now to interview, we have uh, Congressman Michael Cloud on the phone. We're going to um, talk with him about a couple of things. The reason I want to talk to him in part was he is a member of Congress representing a district that actually is on the border. His district in southern Texas touches the Mexican border. And so he's been down there recently with some other, other uh, contingency of Congress members, uh, Jim Jordan and others. And I want to talk to him about his visit to the border, as well as a town hall he held or just a, a round table enforcement round table in victoria texas talking to the average joe what does it matter why do we care why are you bothered by the fact that we have a totally insecure border so i believe we have congressman cloud online hello Hello, Good sir. Good to be with you today. <laughs> I'm so glad you could call in. This is just great. Thank you. And I know you're busy. You're in Congress. You had votes today. Thank you for taking just a few minutes out of your day to talk to me. So to start with, you did a tour of the border very recently, and I think you were with Congressman Jim Jordan and maybe others. And I'm sure in part you went just to kind of say you went to see it, but was your impression that the border is, I mean, just overall impressions of the border and the sense of security, are Americans right to be concerned about border security? We are definitely right to be concerned. And uh, that was my, I think, third, uh, fourth, maybe, uh, official trip since being elected a, about a year ago. And, um, you know, the first thing to realize is that the cartels are doing no one any favor at all. When I when I got here, you had Democrats blaming Republicans, Republicans blaming Democrats, and I'd get up and say, the 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 villain here is the cartels. Uh, they have no regard for human life. Uh, they have evil intent at every aspect, whether it's drugs, trafficking, 
uh, even have their hand in legitimate government and, and enterprise, uh, they they are doing so much harm to our communities and to the communities up through Central and South America. And so uh, this is something I'm thinking everybody can get agreement on. Uh, and really, just a few weeks ago, we went back with the Oversight Committee staff, including uh, Ranking Member Jim Jordan, and um, really wanted to get a follow-up on the work that's been done through the the efforts to fund the humanitarian side of things, uh, and also to get an update on the continuing security situation that's that's going on. I thank you for your service and thank you for making that visit. I know your district actually touches your uh, the district you represent in Congress from Texas touches the southern border with Mexico and you recently held a border security and law enforcement roundtable in Victoria. I love that you had that because I love the idea that you're calling your own constituents and people involved in actual the impact of what an insecure border causes. Can you just share with our listeners what are some of the ways in which the insecure border actually impacts day-to-day life in your district? Well, we, we get really, really close to the border, but the, the big deal is that there's two main highways that come from Laredo and McAllen that intersect and go straight up through Texas, through our district, on the way to Houston. They have what's called the fatal funnel, where a lot of the trafficking, the drug smuggling, uh, is going through those two highways up through our district, affecting every community along the way before it's dispersed throughout the country. And so whether you're talking to landowners who are warned to stay off their own property, who can't feel like they can walk their own property uh, without being armed uh, because of what they might run into, uh, they'll tell you that they find dead bodies on their property all the time to the stash houses that are throughout the districts. And I've seen the video of, of, of people stripped down and beaten naked, and that video sent back to their families as they're held for ransom. Uh, I've visited the facilities where young ladies have made the journey up, and they'll, they'll tell you 40% of them admit to being abused along the journey. And so the, the thought is that it's probably a conservative number. And, you know, it's just it's tragic uh, that we've allowed this to metastasize into such a, such a dire situation. Um, and certainly we, we can do better than this and, and have the need and, and right, uh, both in the security and humanitarian side of things to secure our border, to, to stop this magnet that's allowing these people to be taken advantage of. Congressman Cloud, I love you use the word metastasize because people kind of, it, it, it's a creepy word and people kind of, they know it's a bad thing, but it's a really good descriptor overall of the consequence of failing to secure the border and failing to provide uh, a, 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 not just an enforceable border, but a system that we all agree is a law and everyone backs and everyone enforces the problems you describe metastasize, great word. I wanna switch though to another topic. I'm so happy to have you on the phone. I know you recently met with some individuals who were part of this movement to save the persecuted Christians. And uh, Matt, the wonderful producer, has a picture of you. I think I took it from Facebook, a picture of you with this group. And these are people who've been uh, horrifically persecuted, Christians around the world, the single, the, the, Christian persecution is the single largest group that is victims of, of persecution around the world. So you had this meeting, and first of all, I'd love to have you just share a little bit about it, and then have you, if you could, tell us what in the world can we do about it? What can America do about saving the persecuted Christians around the world? 
Sure. Uh, the first thing is really awareness. Um, and yeah, I, I can't see the, the picture over the radio. Uh, <laughs> over the That's a good one. But, uh, but we met with a group from Nigeria who came, uh, one of the mother whose daughter was being held by Boko Haram because they had raided a school, took, I think, 120 young ladies and ended up not not returning her daughter. They ended up returning some of the others, but she was kept because she refused to renounce her faith in Christ. Um, and so she's still still there being held. Um, and then you looked at Fulani raiders, these Fulani raiders who've been raiding Christian neighborhoods and communities throughout the nation. Um, and the the word is is that there was a a payment from the Nigerian government to them as ransom money, um, which concerns us when you consider that you know our tax dollars are going to help provide for foreign aid that's going to Nigeria, and they're I believe among the top ten countries that we provide foreign aid to, and yet they're turning around and using some funds to to provide for ransom money uh, against you know, Christian communities that are being persecuted, uh, and so. You know, I I think this would shock most people, regardless of what faith you come from, to find out that your tax dollars are being used uh, by proxy in such a such a purpose. And you know, that was followed up by a meeting with an ambassador from another country who said, you know, we appreciate the foreign aid, but where I can tell you where it's going to in our country isn't going to the kind of things you would think it's going to. It's going to these organizations who are working to undermine the values our nation has held dear for a long time. Um, and you know they're conservative Christian nation uh, uh, with with a huge percentage of faith. I think ninety five percent of their people, um, and and so that's not really what the purposes are supposed to be used for. You know, and and I think just this week Nigeria or India, I should say, is looking at uh, legislation uh, that ha- that has banning. Uh, conversion in their country and banning any NGO or any foreign type of foreign assistance. People who have converted in the last, if you've converted somebody or if you've expressed your faith in any sort of way, you would not be able to do aid in in their country. Um, And and again, they're in the I think top 25 of uh, 25% of the nations uh, who receive foreign aid. And mm -hmm. so this is something that as an office we're really digging into but it's um it's something that that you know what we're finding so far isn't isn't real comforting congressman cloud are you saying that india is contemplating legislation that would not permit if people if ngos of any kind were attempting to convert people from islam to christianity that they would be blocked the ngos would be blocked is that what you're saying they've implemented non-conversion rules um and part of that is that to the best of our understanding and what we've read so far, I've seen the legislation that they uh, passed. And and it's it, basically if you're a, a foreign country that's coming in and you have an NGO that's coming in to help provide aid to that country for some very legitimate reasons, if you as a member of that team uh, had ever participated in what they would consider you know, free exercise of your faith or conversion evangelism uh, if you see yeah if you spoke in a church or talked to your friend or something like that you would be prohibited from participating in that kind of activity and i can tell you I, i've i've been over there and i've sat in a room and interviewed 
a pastor after pastor after pastor who's been beaten for their faith and you know wives being beaten pregnant women kicked uh and children left abandoned as their their um their parents are taken to jail uh for converting to christianity for converting to christianity right well in those cases oftentimes it was just meeting with a small group inside their own home Uh, and they have 50 people show up at at their house on motorcycle gangs and 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 with sticks and um, beat them blind in some cases and and so um you know understand in developing countries some of that stuff is tragic but when the um when you have a government that's protecting that kind of activity and then we're sending aid to them uh that's the part that as as a legislator that concerns me absolutely so actually that is my next and last question was what can congress do so you were aware of this and i don't have numbers i really apologize for our listeners i've recounted them before on the show but the level of persecution of christians around the world is is simply staggering it's unknown that this is why save the persecuted christians exists to raise awareness but do you have yet in, in congress any idea what you can do to try to fight against this problem yeah, the first thing we're we're tr- doing right now is really digging into because you know a lot of these a lot of the data on it is hidden. You know, they're they're not presenting. You know, the the Ni- Nigerian government or the Indian government isn't going to present us. Hey, this is how much money is is going toward persecuting. You, you know what I mean? So finding the in- information is difficult, but for, we're working to dig in to get that kind of information and, and make it public. But the thing that anybody can do is to call their congressman and make sure that this is on their radar uh, and to, to ask questions because the State Department for a, a while now, for a good bit of time, has gone unchecked in these kind of efforts. And so you have people in entrenched bureaucratic positions who've uh, kind of turned turned a blind eye to this sort of thing happening uh, and haven't really pushed the issue. Uh, and so what Congress can, what people can do is inform their congressmen to help hold uh, hold the State Department accountable on these kind of issues as we begin to look at all the other uh, geopolitical issues that are that are in, being at play right now. Congressman Michael Cloud representing Texas's district, is it 27th district, I think, right? 27th district, yeah. Okay, in a, a border community down there on the border, keep monitoring what's happening, listening to his constituents about the impact of border crossers, illegal border crossing, and the impact on their communities, their lives. Um, I, I love that you're doing all of that. And I love that you're learning, we're all learning more about persecution of Christians around the world, recognizing America has a role to play, uh, at the very least, re-examining how much money we send to countries who repress Christians, and maybe other ways we can help too. So, Congressman Cloud, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, so that's Congressman Michael Cloud. This guy, I mean, he's just a just a salt of the earth, you know, no, regular guy. Never thought he was going. He did not uh, groom himself from childhood to become a politician to to be a member of Congress. He really is just a, one of your heart and soul salt of the earth guys who represents uh, one district in Texas in Congress and trying to shine the light on the border issues as well as persecution of Christians, which are just in, occurs in just staggering numbers. Well, I want to turn next and talk about uh, an issue that you've probably been seeing a lot about on um, social media. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime, uh, prime Minister, has he's up for re-election, by the way, and it's like a month or two. It's coming right up. 
and these pictures from his much earlier life have come forward. There have been pictures online now just sent everywhere where he dressed up and they're actually using the term brown face as well as black face. I mean, he dressed in uh, for a variety of reasons at, at public events where he made his face all black, even made the back of his hands black, did the same thing, brown face. Um, so he is, you know, joined the ranks of people who've been called out for their conduct uh, in their younger days. I think he was 21 years old or so at the time of these uh, pictures were taken or in that ballpark, but he's been called out for racial insensitivity um, and people even use the term racism because dressing in brown face, black face. I just wanted to say this about that. It's not the worst problem Justin Trudeau presents to rational people. It should not be the worst problem that Justin Trudeau presents to rational people. We become so driven by the uh, racial agenda, the racist agenda, that you have people just just all over social media and emailing and demanding petitions and or signing petitions and demanding he step down because of some pictures taken when he was younger. I'm not defending the guy. I don't like anything he stands for, but those are, but bad pictures or insensitive pictures are not his worst problems. Let me tell you what some of his real problems are. Number one, I don't know if you realize, but Justin Trudeau is in the middle of a very, very serious ethical scandal serious ethical scandal. He was the Canadian Office of Ethics, completed their investigation of him, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whether he inappropriately used his office, used his power to influence and pressure the Canadian Attorney General to drop criminal charges charges against a political ally and donor called SNC-Lavalin, L-A-V-A-L-I-N. So he is in the middle of serious corruption charges. The Canadian Office of Ethics basically said, they looked into it and said, he used his power to stop the prosecution by the Canadian Attorney General of a political ally and donor. So flat out caught at it. No one's arguing he didn't do it. He issued some mealy mouth apology, but even maybe almost worse than that is once he was caught at this and you know, it's out there, everybody knows this is a true corruption scandal with him, as do many people on the American left. They are vicious. They are totalitarian in their mindset. He wanted his party to stand behind him, even though the Canadian Office of Ethics just said, yes, serious ethical problem here. But you know, he's decided I wanna be prime minister and I'm gonna insist that my party fall in line and ranks behind me. So two individual, two women, members of his party were exiled, kicked out of the caucus of his party because they wouldn't just stand there mute and agree that even though he has a serious ethical dilemma on his hand, hands, he wanted them to say, never mind, we love the guy, small guy, let's ignore it. And these two women wouldn't do it. These two women are um, uh, Wilson Rebold, the last name Wilson Dash Rebold, and another person named Philpop. He literally exiled them from their party, called them out as traitors, didn't use that word traitors, but called them out for not standing with him. This is a guy who's ethically challenged. It's my first problem with him. Number two, all, if every liberal stupid policy in this country, in, our, in America, were to be carried out 
by a, a, some counterpart, it would be Justin Trudeau. He loved the Iranian deal, didn't care that the Iranian deal actually enabled the Iranians to develop nuclear weapons, exactly the opposite of what they were supposed to do, that they, the uh, deal was supposed to accomplish. He lambasted America for dropping out of the climate deal because he loves climate control. Huge left-wing, big government control guy, loved the climate deal, Paris Climate Accord. So he criticized America for that. And he's also under his watch developed a huge or as trump would say huge problem with respect to refugees in his country in canada canada has now exceeded exceeded america in terms of somalian islamic refugees brought into the country over the last few years canada has brought in more somalian uh, islamic refugees into his country and I fault him for the following things. Number one, when his own constituents are saying, his own people, here he's the prime minister of the whole country, saying, you know what, we've got a problem here. We have, you know, we have very aggressive conduct on the part of these Somalian refugees. We really wish you listen to us. Stop bringing so many refugees here. And he mocked, derided them. Of course, the Canadian media went right along with him. Oh, this is terrible. These people are so mean. How could they say this? And the people are saying, come look where we live. Look what's happening to our communities. You come look. Now, that is not of interest to him. But recently, uh, there was actually something that was a, uh, you talk about just a evidence that the Islamic Sharia supremacist, Islamic caliphate mindset is alive and well within the Somalian Islamic community in Canada. In Canada, a political party just qualified to be recognized as a party and therefore to run candidates for offices of all kinds. That party is called the Islamic party of Ontario. So now you've had so many Islamic refugees brought in that they have their own political party, at least in Ontario. And you might say, well, you know, everybody has, everybody has political parties, you know, so they're, they want to have representation too. Let me just tell you what's on their homepage, the Islamic party of Ontario, the Quran, which I'll, I'm going to put a comma there, the Quran, which it contains over 100 verses mandating devout followers of Islam to engage in jihad to force submission into Islam. The idea of Islam is to force submission. They say force submission to, to Allah and then in turn to force the world to submit to Islam. This is the source of much of the Islamic jihad in the world are the very teachings of the Quran that say you must you must engage in jihad. You must engage in violence to force a conversion or the submission of infidels. So back to what this Islamic party of Ontario says. Quran is the latest and final edition of divine books that provides complete guidance to all mankind in all walks of life that include politics and governance under the belief of supremacy of God. It goes on and on. I'm not going to keep reading it. But the point is, this party isn't saying we'd like adequate representation of the minority of people who are in Canada now, who are Islamic refugees from Somalia and other places. This is their launching position. The Quran is meant to rule all of mankind. That their words. The Quran is meant to rule all of mankind. The Quran is meant to govern. It is intended to provide that to rule all walks of life politics and governance 
And so when Justin Trudeau responds to people who are concerned about, you know, all these people coming here and now they're bringing the Quranic doctrine, this whole, this whole concept of Islam forcing submission of the world to Islam is taking root, is taking place right in Canada, right, in, right under his nose, right in front of the people. And his answer is to mock people concerned by his refugee policies and how many, in fact, he had a little speech he did. I, I didn't highlight the word, I'm not gonna take time looking for it, but he had a little speech he gave right after at some town hall. Someone said to him, you know, we're a little concerned about what are, is happening to our communities. We bring a lot of new Somali Islamic refugees to our communities. And, and you know, that it's kind of, it's, it's really disrupting, upsetting things. He did this just high-minded virtue signaling, left wing, totally out of it not just speech, but tweets and speech about how, you know, we love diversity and the Islamic culture will, will be a blessing to, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, Islamic culture will be a blessing to Canada and the rich diversity, all these words they throw out as the people are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not going well here. We're worried already about our communities. And now we have a party that says it is committed to the supremacy of the Quran and Justin Trudeau is just proudly bragging about and smiling about the idea that he is uh, the one who's helping this happen. In, in fact, he did a, a big speech passionately defending refugees after this town hall question. And so if you're upset about Justin Trudeau, if you don't like his, you know, pictures on media from 20 or more years ago with him doing brown face or black face, I would say, yeah, okay, that's offensive. It's obnoxious. It's not very thoughtful. But those aren't the biggest problems of Justin Trudeau. He's a radical leftist. He is very dangerous to have in our hemisphere. He does not understand the threat of radical Islam in the Western hemisphere. He does not understand what was happening in the Iranian deal. He does not understand that that was a, a, a partial capitulation to the Iranian mullahs. He does not understand that climate change is a massive effort to get control of the world, to bring international policy around, to redistribution of wealth, he doesn't understand a lot of things that he should understand if he really wants to be a good prime minister for Canada. Another story, and these are just great stories. You know, I've got to tell you folks, every day I get prepared for the show and I choose among probably hundreds of stories to bring the ones to you, I think that you know, are just are kind of the highlights of, of the day, but there are always many more. And I love talking with you. I kind of, I always feel like the show goes by too fast every day, but I want to turn and tell you something Ilhan Omar did. And this is something I want you to really pay attention. Ilhan Omar is a problem. I'm sure you know if you listen to the show, she's a member of US Congress, a Democrat in the state of Minnesota. She's a Somalian Islamic refugee. She has made countless countless statements mocking and deriding Israel, Judaism. She's, a, she's a deeply anti-Semitic. And as Ayan Hirsi Ali and others have pointed out, when you grow up as a member of the Muslim faith in Somalia, of course you grow up being anti-Semitic. It is part of the Islamic doctrine. In fact, the Quran, back to the Quran, this party in Canada likes so well, the Quran filled with instructions and uh, denouncements of Jews, uh, urging killing Jews, just the most profoundly disgusting anti-Semitic stuff in the Quran, and that's what these people want. But back to Ilhan Omar, she put out a tweet, and I can't remember if I had time to send this to the wonderful, yeah, I did, okay. This, this is her tweet, I'm gonna tell you about it. This is Ilhan Omar's tweet. Somali government and peacekeeping forces need to protect Hamoud, 
and the Somali telecom industry as they make enormous contribution to the economy and provide vital services. We can skip the rest. So Ilhan Omar is standing up for in a tweet, and this is a tweet she put out um, in August. It wasn't like two years ago. So just so you know who this Hamoud is she's standing up for, this is a Somalian telecom company founded by a guy named Ahmed Nur Ali Jamali, founded in April 2002. And this character, this founder of this telecom company in Somalia that she's tweeting about, we have to protect them, we have to take care of them, don't let anybody hurt them. This guy, Jamali, founded this in, in April 2002. So, United Nations Security Council, in, in a report from July 2009, talked about this very guy, Jamali, and his company, Hamoud, at Hormud, excuse me, Hormud, as, a, as being a direct supporter of al-Shabaab, the jihadist militant Islamic terrorist group in Somalia. The same guy, the same guy who found this company that Ilhan wants to defend, he was also, he served in leadership roles in an organization, Somali Islamic Courts Union, a radical Islamic element. He also was Al-Shabaab, this group that he and his telecom company support, was listed for targeted sanctions in April 2010. He also is identified, he, this guy, who founded this telecom company, Ilhan Omar is all worried about, this guy Jamali is identified as one one of al-Shabaab, and again, one of the most violent, horrific, murderous, jihadist, terrorist groups in the country, in the world, he, this guy Jamali, is one of their main chief financiers. He, so, I mean, he goes on, and I can read story after story after story. So, she tweets out, let's support this guy, this company, isn't this great? Well, let me just ask you, if you were Ilhan Omar, say you think she's innocent, she, she would never do, you know, advocate anything bad, Say you're Ilhan Omar, and you just heard about a telecom company in Somalia, and it seemed like they were having a hard time, and you want to encourage people to support them, and then you found out that this telecom company was founded by a, a guy who funds jihadist terror, who commits jihadist terror. In fact, there was one action that they did. I, I do want to share that one if I can find it quickly, but there was one thing they did. They were part of smuggling weapons in that led to one of the largest, in fact, the largest jihadist terror attack in Somalia, killing 538 people in that ballpark, and this group was part of it. This group funded by this guy Jamali, was part of enabling that terror attack. We're not talking about people who just sit around and, and discuss in the abstract, you know, what do you think about jihad? These are people who do it. So say you're Ilhan Omar and you really don't support terrorism, you think it's completely awful, and you're a peaceful Muslim, and so you put this tweet out and then someone says, hey, Ilhan Omar, you know what? This group is actually really horrible. They actually fund terrorism, they commit terrorism, they aid terrorism. Even the United Nations, pretty much run by a cabal that is sympathetic to terrorism, even they have denounced this guy and Hermund, his company. But she didn't do that. She didn't apologize for the tweet. She didn't, I mean, if you were in her shoes and you mistakenly tweeted that, I'm gonna guess everyone listening to this show, you'd put a tweet out almost right away saying, hey, wait a minute, I didn't know. I just learned now, as it turns out, that this guy is a really, really bad actor, that Hormund is a really, really bad company. It's H-O-R-M-U-U-D, Hormund, is a really bad company, and they aid Al-Shabaab, one of the worst terror organizations in the world. If you were a peaceful Muslim, as she claims she is, you would never let that tweet stand. 
she's fine with it being out there. I'll tell you one thing is very interesting. The person who pointed all this out about who El, what Ilhan Omar wrote and who this uh, terrorist group is is a, is an, actually an imam in Australia named Muhammad T A W H I D I Tahidi. He is an imam. He's he's Muslim. He's in Australia, and he puts out pieces all the time pointing out how dangerous and radical Ilhan Omar is. Now, I know a lot of people involved in trying to wake America up to the threat of Islamic terror in this country, and they don't even think this guy's a good actor. They think he's part of the problem too. He might be pointing out Ilhan Omar is even worse, but he still is embracing the Quran. He still is embracing Islam, which at its core, contains in the very book that founded the, the religion, the Quran, which Muslims believe is the absolute final truth of God revealed to the prophet Muhammad, can never be changed, can never be altered, can never be updated, can never be moderated, can't do those things. He's still a follower of that faith. But that's the guy who put this story out. And again, all the stories I'm telling you, you can find on our website, americacanwetalk.org. You go to the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links, and you can read this story. But understand, she's putting out a tweet urging support and protection for a terror organization. She also, we can't even get into it today, but she's her ethical troubles are extreme. And I'm telling you, she's kind of daring her own party and daring America to apply the rule of law to her. She doesn't want to do it. She does not think she should actually have to comply or answer for her wrongdoing. But that's a whole other story, not for today. The last story I want to talk to you about today, and actually this is just a, you know, we talk about whether Islamic Jihad is a danger in America today. And we don't, we do mean, of course, you know, we try to protect ourselves against potential future violent jihadist attacks. We have various governmental entities, FBI, trying to keep track of these radical terror groups and who they are and what they're planning and try to catch them before they do anything wrong. But we also have the danger of the kind of insidious hidden danger of civilization jihad or cultural jihad, where it's still the same mission of jihad to bring the world into submission under Islam, but it's done more um, more subtly. Well, I'm going to turn and talk about something that happened in Miami, and you, we, I think we talked about this story right when it occurred. But in Miami, at the Miami airport, there was an arrest of a guy who was the, um, who had, he was an airline mechanic for American Airlines. This incident occurred on July 17th. He was the last guy to check this American Airlines plane, flight, before it was to take off. He allegedly, put inside, put inside the plane, not inside where the passengers sit, but inside near the engine, a very small device that essentially when heated would have been, would have set off and would have caused the plane to crash, you know, killing everyone on board. So this guy was arrested and the good news was at least he was arrested. But I want to tell you a little bit about um, this, this guy to make my points about Islamization in America. To start with, the guy is named Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani, last name Alani, A-L-A-N-I. His name is Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani. The incident occurred July 17th in Miami. Fortunately, as the pilots, with every 150 people on board, are just taxiing down the runway about to take off, a warning light came on and they aborted the flight. They did not take off. They discover, when they discover the, what caused the warning light was this device stuck in the plane by this employee of American Airlines, Alani, who is, a, who is Muslim, 
they discovered he'd been the one that did that. They arrested him, and he first said that he had um, done that because he was very upset about the labor negotiations going on between the union he was a member of as a mechanic and the airline, and that's why he did it. He was really, really upset about this, didn't like the negotiations, so he didn't really want the plane to crash, you see. He just wanted the, uh, the maintenance to be, uh, the light to go off, the flight to be aborted. He might get some over, overtime hours um, so that he could uh, get more hours because he's upset about the union negotiations. I mean, it's a silly story. That's what he said. He also had, by the way, deliberately asked to have to change his schedule. So he had this early morning time when very few people were around, when he was the one inspecting and finalizing inspection for this plane. I'll tell you a few facts about this guy, Alani. Number one, he'd been in America. He'd been an airline mechanic, an airline mechanic. He's 60 years old or 62 or something, 60 years old. He'd been an airline mechanic for 30 years. He'd been in America at least 30 years. He had been fired by Alaska Airlines in 2008 for what they called maintenance mistakes. So he'd been a mechanic. I don't know why someone who's fired by Alaska would be hired by American, but there you go. So he'd been in America 30 years. He had seen American culture and society. He had seen what freedom looks like. He had seen the greatness of America, that you can live in this country and you can live in freedom and you can make, you can live your life where you want, you can move where you want, that you have the opportunity to pursue prosperity. You have the opportunity to live your life in freedom. You have the opportunity to choose your religion, change your religion, change, no, you know, have no religion at all. The government isn't going to do anything to you. He had seen the goodness of the American people. He's worked for American Airlines for 30 years. He had seen his fellow employees and assumed some of them were his friends, that he's seen people at the airport and all in excitement going on a trip to go to wherever they're gonna go on vacation, they're going to visit grandma. He'd known what airlines and airports represent. A lot of people do, you know, having family vacations. He knew what airports represent in terms of business travel and keeping commerce moving in America. He had 30 years to watch American culture, to recognize the goodness of America. And he decided, based on all he'd seen, to try to take down an airliner with 150 people on board because he could because he was an airline mechanic. And what I'm telling you is, when we talk about the danger of Islam in this country, I'm not talking about every single Muslim. I'm talking about Islam itself. The guy has been studying the Quran for 30 years. He's been reading what the Quran tells him, reading, hearing what the Imams tell him, hearing what he learns at his mosque. And so for 30 years, seeing all of America's goodness, it could not override in his worldview the virtue, the mission of killing Americans he did not know. So understand a few things about this guy, but they finally discovered what, when they uh, went to investigate a little further after he's been arrested. He had terrorist ISIS videos on his cell phone. His brother is a member of ISIS. America, taking him in by the way, America took him in as a refugee from Iraq. So he comes from Muslim majority, you know, very unsettled, very dangerous country, comes to America, sees all the freedom and goodness, and all he can think about is finally fulfilling his duty as a good Muslim to kill innocent people. 
So his, they find his cell phone, a video of the um, of Iraq, horrible Islamic terror attacks. His own brother was a member of ISIS. He told FBI agents he had an evil side that made him do this. So this is a guy who was evidence clear as can be about what he was all about. But I want to just tell you what the New York Times headline was uh, in talking about this case. The New York headlines, New York Times headlines, American Airlines mechanic accused of plane sabotage may have ties to terrorists, U.S. says. May have ties, like maybe we're not sure yet. We need to be more able in this country to deal honestly with the threat posed by Islam. We need to recognize it's not every Muslim, but Islam itself, the Quran, the Hadith, the, the, the holy text that, that, are, that Muslims study all over this country, in Islamic schools, in mosques, we have to be honest with ourselves and not have that stick our fingers in our ear and say, la, 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 I can't hear what you're saying. When you see, when you hear someone arrested who works for American Airlines and who is, who deliberately almost got away with killing 150 people, innocent people. And I raised it to say, we're getting close to the end, we gotta go to why it matters to you. But I'm, I tell you this story because I, I love this country and I want people in this country to be safe. I want us to be able to deal honestly with the problems and challenges that we face. I want us to be able to recognize that a guy who's lived in America and been employed in America and seen our culture and seen the goodness of America, could live here 30 plus years and still decide one day, I think I'll blow up an airplane because I can. And that comes from, not because he's a bad guy, he is a bad guy, but it's not because he's a bad guy, it's because the teachings of the Quran tell him to do those things. Because the teachings of Islam say he should. We need to be willing to talk about these hard things and call out the truth and say the truth when it's true. And now I want to turn to the end of the show. I try every day to tell you why these stories matter, that we talk about why they matter to you. So I'm going to turn to telling you why the stories we talk about today matter to you. Trump and his border blast with, and Congressman Cloud, God bless that guy. Border security versus open borders, is, it is a pivotal 2020 election issue. Trump knows this. It's no more complicated than you lock your front door or do you leave your front door unlocked in your home? Keeping your front door locked does not mean you're racist. It doesn't mean you're mean. It doesn't mean you hate migrants or people who don't look like you. It means you have common sense. You want to protect your home before allowing entry. America is our home for American ideas and Americans. We must act accordingly in protecting the border. On Trudeau's far worse uh, offenses, I'm sorry that he's insensitive about blackface, brownface. He's far worse than what he is doing to the people of his country. Blackface might be the outrage of the day, but as Prime Minister of Canada, his actions are worse. The obstruction of justice case against Trudeau is airtight. His response is to throw out two women whistleblowers from his own cabinet. He pushes all the trendy and harmful leftist views, radical environmentalism, the Iranian touting the Iranian deal that gave the Iranian mullahs the capacity to develop nuclear weapons at the expense of Canadian economy and people. He derides his citizens' concerns about greatly increased Islamic immigration to Canada. Despite the new political party, the Islamic Party of Ontario that stands for the Quran is a complete guide to all mankind and government. Congress Ilhan Omar pleads for terror support. Ms. Omar seems unworried that America will enforce the rule of law as to her 
It's catching up with her, but it hasn't quite gotten there. She tweeted in support of Somalian Hormud Telecom that was founded by and is supportive of terrorism, founded by a terrorist, her violation of immigration law is staring Congress and the DOJ in the face. Does American society have the institutional fortitude to enforce American laws? Or do we, the leftist, racist, and Islamophobia narratives supersede American law? This is the basic question at stake in 2020. We all got to stand up for America. Finally, this ISIS aircraft mechanic in America, why it matters to you, a Muslim American Airlines mechanic caught tampering with flight control system whose actions could have caused a deadly crash. Reportedly disclosed his prayers for death of the infidels to the FBI, has a brother who's a member of ISIS, has ISIS propaganda mass murder videos on his phone, which he shared with friends and family, had a news story in his phone about a plane crash in Indonesia last year with specific information about the plane's airspeed control system, the same thing he was caught tampering with. Yet mainstream media tried to float the his actions were driven by labor disputes americans know better law enforcement and the media better catch up and that my friends is america can we talk for today thank you so much for tuning in please like this facebook page comment follow me on twitter at debbie can we talk on YouTube, please subscribe. Love hearing from you. Trying to answer all the emails. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I will try to respond. And thank you so much for listening and tuning in where we talk about America every day because America matters. Talk to you next time. America, can we talk? Truth about America.